Hey everyone, this is Josh from the Solopreneur Grind podcast. This is episode, excuse me, 62 with Kieran from justbe at jube.ca. Kieran, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Dude, excited to have this chat. Awesome. So Kieran, I I think let's start with your name and a a little bit more about you because we were just about to get into it off air and and realized it's probably a conversation we should have (laughs) once we hit record. So would love to hear more about your background, the background of your name and and what the listeners need to know about you. Awesome. Well, first of all, dude, thank you so much for continuously bringing people together and just bringing a group of entrepreneurs, business owners together to share amazing messages. I think now is the time even more so to show up for community and to show up as leaders. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge you for, for having me on today. My pleasure. And, and we, I guess we should date this. This is March 22nd and, and we're in, I think, both in the middle of some isolation periods. So mm-hmm. in case people are listening to this, you know, months or years down the road, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a unique time, right? Middle of March, uh, 2020. So I just wanted to put that perspective, but my pleasure and, and really excited to have you on the show. Awesome. So yeah, let's, let's start. Um, and you know, I, I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I know that the listeners care about value. So I'm going to, I'm going to speed through some of the unimportant, but kind of important stuff so we can dive right in. So I was born in New Delhi, India, uh, so yeah, like you said, my name is Curran Najavan. Now Curran is not a common name in North America, but it's pretty common in, um, in India. I, I always compare it to, you know, like think of a common name in North America that's not overly common. Think about like Noah or Tom or something, <laughs> of, something of that nature. So that's how like, right. that's how, that, that's how Curran would be in India. So I grew up in St. John's, Newfoundland. For those of you who don't know, it's the most easterly point in all of North America, 500,000 people in the entire province, so not really a big place. Grew up there and uh, you know, being in a family of business owners, being my dad and my grandfather, naturally I always wanted to be an entrepreneur or at least even when I didn't know what that word was, I knew I wanted to be in business and that's really all I knew. So after university, I think like most entrepreneurs start it was various side hustles to kind of test and fail ideas because I think everyone needs to learn. Um, But where the story takes an interesting turn, which is really what's brought me to where I am today is um, I heard a quote and (laughs) you ever hear a quote and you're like, Holy shit. Like that really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And I think we all had this like a series of like one or two quotes that we live by. And one of those quotes for me now um, so three years ago, I heard the phrase, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And I looked yeah, at my five Jim people. Jim Rome, right? Yeah. Jim Rome, I, yeah. Yes, yeah. And yeah. I looked at my five people and I was like, oh, shit. Like <laughs> something is not aligned here. My five people, although who are friends and, you know, family, they're not really, they're not really the ones that are, that are going to push me forward. My goals and actions were not aligned with who I thought I was as a human being. And I realized that my network or at least my environment was setting me up for failure. So like any person would do, I wanted to build a new network. I wanted to level up the people who I surrounded myself with. And naturally I thought I had to go to networking events because, Hey, where else do you meet, you know, business people or entrepreneurs. So I would go to networking events and very quickly I realized that every conversation was more so about, um, Uh, more so about a transaction than about building a relationship. 
And I felt like I was being judged for my business title or what my business card said instead of me current as a human being. And I thought that was really backwards to the point where in one specific conversation that I'll never forget, I was talking to a gentleman and he clearly did not see value in me as, as a business individual. So he started the mid conversation, dude, he was wondering, he almost like grazed the room as if like who else is in the room. Right. And when, when you have something like that happen, you're like, <sighs> at least me, I said, never again will I be in a room where I'm so disrespected like that. So from that moment forward, I vowed never to go to networking events ever again. Cause again, they were full of transaction and they were full about what's in it for me where I would never walk away with a true friend. So what I started doing was started hosting my own networking events in the form of dinners where I would handpick people in St. John's that I wanted to get to know better, invite them out to a dinner. And now this is where the story gets even deeper. It's, you know, I thought I was bringing together a bunch of entrepreneurs and I thought all the conversations were going to be about marketing and finance and scaling businesses and how to hire a team and optimize systems and like all the sexy stuff that you think about when you hear the word entrepreneur. But man, all the conversations were about, I don't know how I'm going to make payroll or I have to let someone go or my business is about to shut down. My partner doesn't get it. Like finances are tight. Like my, my, my marketing's broke like real conversations and real mm -hmm. problems. So I was kind of thrown for a loop because I, I thought I was walking into like a very positive night. Now it was an amazing night, but very quickly I realized that there was a need to have vulnerable and deep conversations um, for entrepreneurs. So one dinner turned into two, turned into three. Every month I would do a dinner and six months into hosting dinners, I had a wait list of people just by word of mouth who wanted to come to dinner. So all that to say, uh, my business now, Jube, stands for just be yourself. And I love, I, I go all in on relationships. And I think no matter what your marketing system is or your funnels or your hacks or your podcast, at its core, like relationships will always create magic. Got it. That's a really interesting story. I, I want to dig deeper into that for sure. A few parts of it. The first thing I'm curious about, Kieran, is, is before you had that realization, you heard that quote, what were some of the things that you tried? Because it's, especially when you're giving, you know, your personal background, it's the, the first thing we do is talk about the successes. And in most cases, I'm always interested to know a little bit more about other people's failures because we've all had plenty of them. Uh, so I'm curious to know, like, what were some of those little side hustles or, or projects that didn't go so well? Well, one was, I can talk about my very first one. So I grew up, um, like chubby. I grew up overweight. And that was yeah. something that, that always like really affected me, man, to the point where like, you know, I had a very traumatic experience in grade six in a, in a swimming pool where I didn't even get in the water. It's just people like kids in grade six. So I don't know, I was 12 or 13 would like make fun of me because I was chubby and fat. So that led me, um, you know, mentally, at least, um, I never learned how to swim growing up. And Although I started working out and I started to get in better shape as I you know, got into my 20s, I was still that same, like I still had a mentality in, from a swimming respect to that grade six boy where I let that fear prevent me from going on trips, vacations, like hot tub parties. Essentially, I would remove myself from any situation that it had anything to do with water, swimming, or me having to take my shirt off. And that led to, again, like, and then, you know, I, I finally learned when I was 25 because I, Again, another traumatic experience. I ruined this kayaking trip for four of us, and that was the day I called for swimming lessons. But anyways, all that to say, um, when I got in shape, 
I felt like I could do anything. You know, I lost five, 10, 20 pounds and I was, I felt like a completely new person. Um, so naturally when you go through or have such a success, you know, I was like, you know what, I should be a fitness trainer. So I launched an online fitness business called fit opportunity. I haven't said that name in so long. <laughs> um, I launched the fitness business, which was active for about three years, but it was treated as a side hustle. And the results that came were very side hustle type of results, you know, like, right couple hundred here, a couple grand there, nothing too serious. But again, it was just something that I lost passion for. And although it, you know, although it didn't have financial success to what I would have hoped, I think it, it still helped a lot of people uh, lose weight and get in shape. And it was a good segue into, you know, I, I took away so many lessons from that. I think being an entrepreneur, it's, you know, in that business, I tried to wear all the hats. And that's just, you just can't grow a business that way. When you try to do everything from the marketing to the accounting, to the content, to the email, you just, you just can't do it all. So although again, like, you know, I would quote it as a failure. I, I learned so much. Yeah. Which, which is why I think they're so important because number one, a lot of the people who are listening right now and might be starting their own journeys from the very beginning, um, you're going to have them too. Right. And so I think it's important to hear from some of the failures that, that we've gone through um, and number two, because they're so important, right? It, any failure will make your next business that much better. Um, I'm sure the success you're having with Jube right now, a lot of that can actually be, uh, or, or let's say linked back to the failures and, and the lessons you've learned. So, so that's really cool and appreciate you sharing it. Can you talk about, Kieran, the, these dinners? What I'm curious about is when you first started them, was it like, did you meet at a restaurant? Were you hosting them out of your apartment? Like, how did, how did those look? Yeah, so I, I actually read a book called Mastermind Dinners. And that book really walked through the framework of how to host events like this, how to, how to invite people, how to find the right restaurants. And that book was really the catalyst moment for me to host these dinners. So I would host um, all of these dinners ideally in a private room or in a private space. Again, when you bring together a group of business owners and entrepreneurs, my intent was to create a safe and vulnerable space where people felt comfortable enough to share their deepest and darkest, you know, thorns, like the things that really keep them up at night. And unfortunately, when you're in a public setting and there's other people around you, it's loud, there's music, there's no privacy. In order to get to that depth of vulnerability, you just need a private space. So mm -hmm. the dinners were always held either like upstairs in like a private room or in like a back room. Now, oftentimes these rooms had minimums. So as long as you could agree to reaching their minimum, they would be more than happy to give you their private space. Also, most of my dinners were on like a Tuesday, Wednesday or a Monday night, like almost like the slowest nights in a restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. So they were more lenient to give me a room, even if I didn't hit the minimum, just because it was their slow nights anyways. And then also, you know, I've experimented with, hosting these dinners at my own house and they work just as well. So if anybody is interested in hosting their own dinners, uh, you know, don't feel like you need to go out and spend tons of money um, at a restaurant. You can, people are more than happy to come into your home if you have the space for it. And that works out just as well. Got it. And, and what was that business model? Like were you, were you just charging a fee to attend and then everyone paid for whatever they ate and drank? So here's the thing. The dinners were never meant to generate revenue because I mean, you'd have to host five dinners a week for that to be a viable business model, right? right. It's, just, it's just not possible. The dinners were really meant to bring people together and show them the power of community. 
And Mm -hmm. the goal of me bringing together other entrepreneurs is twofold. Number one is helping them make contacts with people that they wouldn't normally meet from various industries or just other fascinating people. And then the other is that would also give me a sense of where they were the most stuck right now. It would give me an idea of what are some gaps into their business, which could potentially lead to them joining my mastermind community. It could lead to consulting or it could lead to any sort of one-on-one additional support. So the dinners as, as a whole is just to bring people together and what comes out of that. You know, I've seen, I've seen partnerships form. I've seen uh, so much collaboration happen. Um, I've created lifelong friends from these dinners. So dinners, in themselves are not the revenue generator are not the revenue generators. It's what comes after that. Got it. So, so let's go to the next step then. So you, you start these dinners, they start going well, you're getting wait lists. Um, kind of where'd you go from there? So that business with the wait list and the dinners that was in St. John's Newfoundland. And, you know, talk about not another failure, but another stepping stone into what led to Jube. So, uh, me and an old business partner of mine, we created a business in Newfoundland for this subscription-based model where people would pay essentially a hundred bucks a month to have access to these dinners. Now, when I left Newfoundland and moved to Ontario, same thing, you know, I tried to grow my network here and again, realized that networking events were not the answer. Mm-hmm. So I started hosting dinners here as well. And after hosting like almost a hundred plus dinners in Toronto or like meetups or events or coffees or potlucks, I started to build my own little mini tribe here or my mini community. So those dinners have now essentially become, again, um, those are almost like my, my staple events that I do two, three, four times a month just to bring people together. And what comes out of that again is if people want to be in this community, they can join to be a part of a mastermind group or from that there, they come to my future events, they come to workshops, they come to retreats and things of that nature. So again, dinners as a whole is just the hub to bring people together. What comes after that is really limitless. Got it. And, and so what was it that drove you to Toronto? And, and the other thing is I can only imagine how popular uh, they are here considering if you had a wait list in Newfoundland, then I mean, Toronto is, uh, you know, packed full of entrepreneurs. So, so I'd love to hear about how that transition went. Absolutely. So Newfoundland is a, is not a big place. And when you grow up, when you grow up in a small city or in a small town, um, I felt like I was walking into the trap of a very status quo life. And in a small city, um, you know, there's expectations of, of you as a person when you hit a certain age, i.e. if you're not 23 with a car, like you're not succeeding. If you don't have like an amazing job by 25, you're not succeeding. If you don't have a mortgage by 27, like you're not succeeding. If you're not married by 30, like you're almost like, I don't want to say the words damaged goods, but like you're, you're far, you're, you're far behind. So when you grow up, when you grow up in a small place like that, it's very easy to let your age and those around you kind of dictate what your next steps in life are. And that's the path I was really headed on. And why Toronto? You know, it could have been Montreal. It could have been anywhere really. But I felt like whenever I left Newfoundland to, um, come up to Toronto for a basketball game or concert or come visit friends, a part of me would always stay in this city. There was something about this city, maybe the energy or the people that just kept me here. And every flight that I would take back to Newfoundland, you know, a part of me inside would honestly like die a little bit because I knew I was going back to that status quo lifestyle. So the decision to move to Toronto, what didn't happen overnight, 
it took, you know, over a year of me to like get my mindset straight and realize that, Hey dude, you're leaving a, an amazing job in Newfoundland for a lot of unknown. Is this really what you want to do? But again, it comes down to like now is, I mean, there, there's never the right moment to take any risk in life. Mm-hmm. And for me, the last thing I wanted was to be in my forties or fifties and sixties and wonder what if, and again, that is the path I thought I was headed down. So that's what led me to Toronto. And in terms of having, you know, like a wait list in Toronto, it's a little bit different because Toronto is, although it's a, a big city with a huge population, it's amazing how difficult it still is to make friends. You know, you'd think mm-hmm. you're in such a big city and I'm going to make so many friends and it's going to be crazy. There's still silos that exist. There's, there's communities that exist. Um, so it's really about just like finding the right people and not making it a numbers game, but making it more so a quality game. And I think that's probably something I'm noticing in this city the most is that the numbers are yeah far superior to that of Newfoundland. But I think relationships scale like one at a time. And I don't mm-hmm. think that relationships can be rushed either. So for me, it's, uh, you know, hosting my events, just getting the right people out. Um, I'm very okay with building one new friend at a time instead of dumping, you know, 50 people into my network and knowing them slightly. Got it. Yeah, that, that's super important. And your point on it never being the right time is so spot on. And I feel like that probably holds a lot of people back because, I mean, because of the thing called life, right? Like there's always going to be that difficulty that pops up or that other thing you have to do or, you know, that world crisis that might be a little bit different. We're in a unique time right now, but uh, I, I totally agree with that point. So, so let's say, let's, let's go to the point where you land in Toronto, because I think this can be really applicable for people who want to start taking action or love your idea of hosting dinners or want to jumpstart their network. How did you do it when you landed in Toronto? Like what were some of the first things or steps that you took to, uh, to jumpstart that process? So being in Toronto and like for anyone new coming in or for anyone who wants to host dinners, trust me, it is very nerve wracking to plan and schedule your own dinner. There's going to be so many questions in your head. Will people come? Will they find value? What if it's not the right restaurant? Are people going to get value out of this? It's like, what if I fail? And I think, you know, again, it is a risk. You're like, you're putting yourself out there. But I think to that point, like nothing comes easy. So when I landed in Toronto and for anyone who wants to host their own dinner, the easiest thing to do is have a very small dinner with four or five people where you already know three or three or four of them and ask them to bring a friend. So like you already know, let's right. say 80% of the table and you're only meeting, let's say two new people. So my first dinner here, like wasn't amazing. It was a brand new restaurant. It wasn't a private room. It was super loud. And I knew two of the five people like really detailed. So although I'm saying it wasn't an amazing dinner, it was still an amazing dinner. Like mm-hmm. we, talked about, we talked about life. We talked about relationships and our businesses. We talked about where can we best support each other. So I think, you know, I've, I've got numerous friends in this city who I've known for, you know, now my three years here who are still thinking about hosting their first dinner. And they've been thinking about hosting their first dinner for like two years. It's right. just a matter of like picking a date and doing it and inviting people and like nothing. I think people overcomplify or sort of overcomplex things right. out of fear, out of fear and just not knowing or having this thought that people are going to think that like, like they're not smart or something. And, you know, I think like looking like a fool is like the only way to get ahead. 
Right. And really, in this case, the worst case scenario is not so bad in the sense that, I mean, what you described is worst case, if you get to have a thoughtful dinner with four, even if it's just three, four, five other people, some of which you know, I mean, when I'm having dinners or conversations with other like entrepreneurial motivated people, I don't think I've ever been to a bad one. Right. And then let's say worst case, maybe your good friend shows up and nobody else does. I mean, you could still eat food and, and have a good conversation, right? So it, it's not like uh, it's not like some other big risks and, and other you know crazy downsides you could face with other businesses, right? Yeah, and think about it this way, man. Like having a real conversation like today in 2020 can be difficult. Like it's easy to put up a facade. It's easy to talk about, oh yeah, you know, life's great. Like business is great. My relationship's great. I'm going on this vacation. It's going to be amazing. Like I've got the perfect life. And that's generally what we see when we look on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. We see all these amazing people having like the best time of their lives. Guess Mm -hmm. what? Life is not like that remotely. Like life is not like that remotely. We all have daily struggles. We have relationship issues or business problems on the daily, I would say. And mm-hmm. when you're hosting a dinner like this, it's not an environment that you can replicate at like a networking event. You just can't. So when you sit down at the table and phones are put away, you've got a guided, curated night of questions that are going to invoke some deep, meaningful conversation where people are going to feel vulnerable. They're going to feel uncomfortable. They're never going to forget you because you've now created a safe space and a container for them to share, again, some of their darkest and most Um, fearful thoughts that they're having and they don't know how to talk to other people about it. Like I always say that like my best friends have no idea what I do. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm dead serious about that because there's certain conversations I just can't have with those types of people. And when you bring, you know, a group full of strangers together who you don't know, uh, you'd be surprised at how quickly willing or how people are willing to go deep with a group of strangers because they're like, Hey, maybe I'll never see this guy again. Totally, totally relate. And I also think the other reason is because the entrepreneurial part of us kind of brings us together too, right? So like you said, I can have certain conversations with some of my longest friends about many aspects of life, but we can't talk in terms of business the same way or in terms of those types of job related struggles the same way. Whereas I've made some extremely good friends just so I moved to Toronto too two and a half years ago and I have some really good friends that I've met through networking and and are we have very strong relationships more closely tied to business and entrepreneurial struggles um so you can almost have the kind of like the different realms right in in how you're communicating with people yeah that's exactly it you know as soon as you realize you have something in common with your neighbor sitting next to you at a dinner table you're more likely to open up to them because there's already this layer of something in common. And then if you realize that you both also like basketball, guess what? That's another thing you have in common and you're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. But the thing is, is, you know, you go to a traditional networking event and you never actually learn about the person because it always leads with the question, what do you do? Mm -hmm. When somebody answers that question, whether or not they're proud of answering that question, the other person rightfully or wrongfully is going to, is going to judge that person based on the answer of what do you do? Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, let's say you go to someone, uh, someone you don't know at a networking event. Hey, my name is Curran. What do you do? And they're like, Oh, I do marketing for a startup. Cool. In my head, potentially I'm thinking, well, I, I already know like seven people in marketing. 
and I'm not saying this is right or I mean, I'm saying this is very wrong actually, but mm -hmm. a, a typical conversation, that person would think, cool, I already know like six people in marketing. Um, see you later. Like, let me go find someone else. Right. And then think about the person that you just left behind. Like they've got a family. They're probably a brother or sister. They're probably have friends who are in need. They, 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 they might be coming to a networking event. This could have been their first net networking event that they came to in three years because they were so afraid to come. And the first conversation they have, they get written off because of their business title, right? right? So what I'm saying is most traditional environments don't allow someone to go deep with someone. And it's because of the questions we ask are wrong. They're just not right. the right questions and they're definitely not asked at the right time. So when you have a dinner or your own event, you can dictate what those questions are so that people are allowed and you've given them permission to go deeper with one another. Right. So I have to ask the low hanging fruit question here, Kieran, <laughs> can you advise us on some of those great questions or even topics? Like what should we be talking about? What should we be asking? Um, and, and I guess kind of tangentially related to that is what are the structure of these dinners? Like, are, are you formally introducing everyone or, or is everyone just kind of sitting there casually? How much of the conversation is a group conversation and how much do you kind of let everyone, you know, talk to their neighbors? Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So let's break this up into two different sections. The first is the, so you know, some of my favorite questions. And then the other is what's actually the structure of the night. Got it. So a couple of my favorite questions that, invoke emotion they go deep right away and they have nothing to do with what do you do um here's here's a list of four that i just thought of so one is and this one is on my business card that i never use because i don't like business <laughs> cards but it is on the back of my business card it says as you've gotten older what's become more important in your life and what's become less important in your life and mm -hmm. when someone answers that question right away you can get a sense of what their values are where are their priorities and right away you can tell whether or not you're going to gel with someone um, my next question is um, what, what memory instantly makes you smile hmm. and right away, you know, a person could talk about childhood. They could talk about something that happened yesterday or something with their partner and you see their face light up. And then, then they also associate you with bringing them back to this happiest moment in their life. It's really cool. Um, another fun question is what does your perfect weekend look like? And for me, I love asking that question, especially to somebody I just met for the first time. Because if they say, you know, I'd love to go for a long walk, check out a new coffee shop, have a nice dinner in with my partner, wake up the next day, work out and journal and meditate and like read. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be best friends for life. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, cause right. That's because that's, that's what my ideal weekend looks like. And then another question is, what is your biggest personal win in the last 60 days, but it can't be work related? Huh. And that question is interesting on so many levels because when you throw in the caveat, it can't be work related, two things are going to happen. Number one, the person is going to talk about a personal win in their life. And that right away is going to show you what is important to them. It could be they just started working out again. They just started a new diet. They just started reading again. They just started um, video calling their family. Like whatever their biggest personal win, win is, is amazing. The next thing this will do, and I've had this happen once in the three years that I've been asking this question, is that a friend of mine who I asked this to, he actually couldn't answer this question because all of, all of his wins were tied to his work. Wow. And he didn't answer the question. Two days later, he messaged me 
and said, man, I just got to say, thank you for asking me that question because I didn't have a personal win in my life in the last 60 days. And that's really made me evaluate my decisions and my choices right now. So thank you for showing me what's important. And I was so, I was so caught off guard when he, when he texted me that two days later, because honestly I had forgot even asking him that question like two days later, but the fact that he was still thinking about it and that that made him question some of his life choices was just a huge win for me because I think there's more to a human being and there's more to an entrepreneur and a business owner than just your work life. Absolutely. And, and some of the, I mean, everything else irrelevant, you know, every, irrespective of everything else we've talked about, this just highlights the power and importance of good questions, right? I don't have to tell you about that because I mean, you've, you know, built all these uh, networking events and not events, well, you know, dinners, because I know you're, how you feel about networking events, but <laughs> these networking opportunities, we'll call them. Um, but man, like those, those even got me thinking and, and it's, it's incredible how powerful asking the right questions can be. So I, I'm definitely glad that you, uh, that you shared those with us. Yeah. And like to the, you know, I've got a list of questions that if anyone's ever interested in questions to ask people, I, I get, I get messages, messages all the time saying, Hey, Karen, I'm going to an event tomorrow. What are some questions I can ask? So like, I've always got like a mental list of questions. So please email me directly, Curran at jube.ca if you want any of that. Um, the next thing I'll say is, you know, we talked about the structure. So what those nights actually look like. Uh, this is great timing. One of two reasons uh, this is great timing. Number one, I've hosted, or sorry, I've created a 50 minute free training video on how to host your perfect dinner at relationshipscreatemagic.com. The next thing awesome. is a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike Mall. We're actually, we're working this weekend on a course on how to host epic networking dinners. So I'm actually just getting ready to record videos on what that looks like. And I don't know, do you want to dive into some details as to how to, how to structure this type of night? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And we'll definitely link to that website as well uh, in the description. I, I'm probably going to jump on it myself because it sounds super interesting. But yeah, I, I, as much as you're willing to share. Awesome. Let's dive right in. So every dinner, in my opinion, and I might, I might talk really fast about this because I get really passionate when I talk about dinners no and the importance of relationships. So if at any point I need to slow down, you just let me know. Sounds good, man. So the structure of the night has three very distinct components. There's a before the dinner, there's a during the dinner, and there's an after dinner. So those three phases of a night all have different moving parts. Now, before the dinner, very simply, you need to figure out, is this, is this going to be an external restaurant or is it going to be internal, i.e. in your house? Once you make that decision, you need to pick a date. I recommend using three weeks out. So three weeks out from the, the day you want to host your event, that gives you plenty of time to send out invites, get logistics, get questions and all that taken care of. Think about partnerships. Do you want to co-host this with a friend? Maybe you guys both cover the bill or maybe you get people to pay in advance. Both work equally great. There's no right or wrong formula. People are more than okay for paying for their share of the meal. So trust me, that is not a bone of contention at all. Next, think about how many people you want to invite. I think the sweet spot is between six and eight. You get a nice round table. Everyone's looking at each other. It's amazing. If you're going to host this in a restaurant, try to get a private room. If that's not possible, try to get a quieter space of the restaurant. After you've determined how many people you want to invite, you need to think about who do you want to invite. So making a list of ideal dinner guests is super important. Is it a group of blank entrepreneurs, musicians, writers, creatives, 
people in e-commerce, like whatever that is for you, you need to try to find out what is that commonality that's going to bring people together. Next, how do you invite these people? A simple nine word email. Hey, Josh, I'm hosting a dinner with a group of entrepreneurs. Interested? That's it. For mm -hmm. the hundred and so dinners that I've hosted, that has been my email generally. Wow. That simple. There's no, there's no meat to the email. My goal of that email is just to see if someone is interested. Then I can follow up with a more uh, detailed email in terms of the logistics. Um, I never share the guest list of who's coming. That's just something I choose not to do because um, I like to have a little bit of mystery and surprise when people show up. Sometimes people show up, they know friends, amazing. Other times they're meeting a group of brand new people, also amazing. Something that I used to do a lot of that I've scaled back a little bit on is sending out intake forms before someone even shows up to dinner. And what an intake form is, is a series of eight to nine to 10 questions that help me better understand who this person is, what are some of their accomplishments, what are some of the areas that they need support right now, and then who can I seat them next to at the dinner? So that's another caveat of the during, which I'll get into. Um, the last thing I'll say in the before section is um, if you're doing a family style, sorry, if you're doing a external restaurant, try to get a family style menu so that everyone kind of shares and eats together. It really brings this sense of community and tribe to a dinner. Um, whereas instead of everyone hosting their own or, or having their own individual dishes, it's just, there's something about family style that just brings people together. So that is the before. So that was a lot for just the before. Well, that was a lot. <laughs> but again, like a lot of great stuff, why, I will say. That's yeah. why I take these dinners so seriously, right? Like people think, and you know, I've had my friends saying like, oh, I can whip up a dinner in two seconds. I'm like, okay, do it. And then let me know how it goes. Mm -hmm. There's so many moving parts to do this right. And if you're going to do something like this, and if you're going to ask people for three, four, five hours of their night, like they deserve it for you to do a little bit of work on the on the before end to like make sure it's the best experience possible for your guests because it's not just your time. It's the time of potentially six to eight other amazing people. So that's why I put so much into the before because it's so important to really curate their experience. Now during dinner, have name cards. So have assigned seating based on where people, based on what people said in their intake forms. If Josh on his intake form said he's stuck on marketing, and you know, Mike is coming, who's amazing at marketing, it probably makes sense to seat those two people together. So look right. for those connections, look for those opportunities where you can connect the dots for people. So I love doing assigned seating and I love doing name cards. Uh, introductions, you know, open up, become everyone's biggest cheerleader. Tell them, hey guys, I'm inviting Josh today because he's launching this. He's got this new startup. He's got this amazing podcast. Like you guys need to be on his podcast. So like when you're introducing people, also share one of their wins so that everyone else can see because you know i could beat my chest and say I'm, I'm amazing and you could be like yeah no you're not or a friend mm -hmm. of mine gets up and says guys you got to listen to current he's amazing because of this this and this and all of a sudden you're going to take it more seriously because someone else said it right it came right. as a recommendation so get the introductions out of the way and then use some of those three to five questions that i mentioned earlier or have other just have a list of thought-provoking questions that can engage conversation that facilitates going deep and getting vulnerable instead of focusing too much from the get-go just on business. Now, I'm always taking notes during the dinner because the next day we're going to get into that, but you want to follow up with what people said, where they were stuck or connections that they, that they said they were going to make for people. And then once everyone gets a turn throughout the night, your goal really is to help them get 
their thorns, which are the things that keep them up at night, a little bit less deep. So as you're asking these questions, your goal as the facilitator is to guide the night in such a way where people can get feedback on their problems. Again, whether they're business problems or life or relationships, that's really the goal. And then make sure you get a picture of everyone um, at the end of the night, and which leads us to our after. So the after is the next day. Just mm -hmm. as important as the before and the during. Like all of these phases are important in their own unique way. Follow up the next day via email, connect everyone, CC everyone on the same email. I always mentions, mention people's thorns within, within that email. So again, people can be reminded as to where they could help other people. Then I send follow up individual emails to everyone via video. So I actually use a, a tool, a software called Vidyard. There's another one called Bonjoro. And these are tools that I use to record a personalized video to all my guests where I just thank them for coming. I thank them for just sharing. Um, and then I asked for a referral in terms of like, who else do you think could benefit from coming to one of these dinners? Um, and that way I get new people who are always on my list for who I can invite to future dinners. And then I always do a three month and a six month check-in with my dinner guests. So, Hey, Josh, it's been three months since we met. I know we talked about your startup and your marketing. How's that going? And then use that as another touch point three months later, maybe invite them to a future dinner. And then that way you're always top of mind when it comes to the network to relationships and as to how you can show up and I need to grab a drink of water. Cause that was right. Nice. That was uh, that was fantastic. Kieran. that was, that sounds like a course in and of itself right there and in, in the amount of value that you just provided. So I, I really appreciate that. So that, that actually is going to be the framework of the course and this course, like, I don't know when this podcast will be launched, Josh, maybe you can tell next, us after, next week. but Oh, well, perfect. This course will be done by then. Awesome. So definitely make sure, where, where, where can they find it if they're interested? Uh, just go to relationshipscreatemagic.com and okay, that perfect. will direct you to my private Facebook community and um, that will be the hub of this course as well. Awesome. So we'll definitely have that in the link to the description of this podcast. Kieran, that, that was really great. I did want to touch on one more topic before I let you go. And that is for those who love the idea of the dinners and uh you know, building relationships as you're talking about it, how can they then link that to, let's call it their moneymaker, right? So maybe you're a uh, marketing agency, or maybe you're a web developer, you know, or maybe you're a whatever, blockchain, you know, consultant, like insert profession here. Right. Um, how can they then kind of connect the dots from these types of dinners or running these types of networking events to, uh, I mean, let's just say making money, right? I don't want to beat around the bush. Yeah, great question. And it's a very important question. <clears throat> very important question. And I've, I've got two responses to that. The first response is that when you're bringing people together over dinner and you know it's going to be a three-hour, four-hour, five-hour night, there really shouldn't be, at least in the dinner, there shouldn't be any sort of like pitching. I make that very clear at all my, at all my, my events. There's no real pitching there because, again, the goal of a dinner is simply to build relationships, right? right? And what comes from the relationships, that could be consulting, that could be work, that could be a multitude of anything. But all of that stuff happens after. So as long as you go into the dinner knowing that, okay, this is the intent of this dinner is purely so I can create or deepen relationships, then that's already a win. Now, how does this turn into business or how can you turn this into your moneymaker maker? Let's say you are um, 
let's say you're an accountant and you want to host epic networking dinners. Well, think about it. If you're inviting a group of entrepreneurs together, how can you then show up in your follow-up email saying, PS, I know you said you were stuck on this. Um, did you try this? So just adding value after the fact with whatever your zone of genius is or your business. So for me, I say, Hey, did you enjoy last night? Um, like, was it amazing? Tell, give me your feedback. And then in a week or two, I'll follow up and say, Hey, did you also know that I've got like a private group of entrepreneurs and we actually do this much more frequently. We also do it online once a week and we also do a, a retreat once a quarter. And we also do Epic dinners with just a community. And this is what it, this is what it takes to play in that world. So whatever your business is, you, you need to lead from a place of value first and try to plug holes for them that you've uncovered during the networking event. Sorry, the dinner, because it's not a networking event. Right. So again, it's your job as a, facil as a facilitator and the hub of bringing everyone together to see where can you plug the holes of somebody else's leaking ship. And when you approach that with a place of service and value, it doesn't become a sales pitch. It becomes a value add. And if they had an amazing time at your event or your dinner, then they're never going to forget some of those conversations that happen. And then doing business together just comes up very naturally and very organically. It doesn't turn into, well, here's, here's a proposal. It turns into that dinner was amazing. How can we find a way to do business together? So no matter what your profession is, um, and also, you know, you could do your due diligence and let's say, you know, I use accounting as an example, but that's a great example of bringing together, you know, your niche. If you're an accountant who focuses on small business owners, just invite small business owners to your dinners, right? right? Don't, don't invite somebody who's maybe at a startup if that's not your cup of tea. So getting even clearer on the types of people that you want to invite is going to make the back end quote, the moneymaker just much more of an easier conversation. And again, the goal of the follow-up is not necessarily to pitch your service right away or to sell. It's just to add value with whatever your business or your zone of genius is. Got it. That's a, that's a great answer. And the reason I ask is because, you know, at the end of the day, it is important that we can all keep the lights on. Right. So uh, re really good to hear that. Uh, Karen, I have one last question for you, and that is, have you ever run these at lunch or, or do you just find dinner to be the perfect time uh, for these types of things? So I have in three years hosted maybe two lunches, right? two lunches and a hundred plus dinners and lunches for me, I, I just found that lunches were a little bit more rushed. There were a little bit more uh, people taking time out of their Monday to Friday, so to speak, to come out. It wasn't the right. ideal time for them to you know, step away from their business for three to four hours. Again, when you talk about life and relationships and like really deep stuff, um, it's, it's something that you get engaged in and then you don't want to leave that conversation. Now, of those two dinner or sorry, of those two lunches, one was on a weekend, which was amazing. But again, I just found that the depth of the conversation for whatever reason, I just found people were more relaxed over dinner. There was wine. There was like just amazing food coming out left, right and center. So for mm -hmm. me, there's, there's no problem with doing this over lunch. You know, if you have like two hours and you want to tell people guys, this starts at 12, it ends at two. There's no trouble doing that. 
but I've just, I've never had a dinner that's been less than three or three and a half hours. So for me to try to replicate that over lunch, for me personally, I just stick to dinners because I know that they're going to be like a multi-hour commitment. Got it. Yeah, it makes total sense. Awesome. Karen, this has been really, really great, really insightful. Uh, you went into really great detail on, on a lot of things. So I really do appreciate that. Do you have one or two last thoughts that you would give to people who are listening and maybe they're working a nine to five they don't like, or they're going through the beginning or, or tough phases of, uh, of a new venture, new project, new side hustle, anything you'd want to leave them with? Yeah, I guess a couple things. Um, couple things. Number one is that you're always going to have fear. You're always going to think of like the perfect moment or when, it, when I have, when I have this much money, I can leave. When this idea takes off, I can leave. When, when it's the next year, I know January is like the perfect time for me to leave. And again, you know, all of this fear, um, it kept me back for a number of years. And it was only up until recently where I started realizing that the more I make myself quote, look like a fool, the more I say yes to things when I'm not ready for, the the more growth I have as a person. And then that translates into my business as well. So like, you're, you're always going to have fear. Just know that there's always somebody one step in front of you. And there's always someone one step behind you, which kind of leads to my next point is like, find a community, find a group, whether it's a mastermind, whether it's just a community of like minded people, whether it's an accountability partner, you know, it doesn't even need to be a big community. But Find a group of people where your, de- where your desired behavior or outcome is already their norm. So you don't look like an outsider. You're already a part of the tribe. You're already a part of that community. And then the, the final thing I'll say is that you're always going to have marketing. You're always going to have accounting. You're always going to have like Facebook ads and funnels and lead generation on your mind. Just know that relationships are at the core of all of that. And when you outcare everyone else, um, you're really going to stand out. So just focus on relationships first. Everything else is secondary. Got it. Those are great pieces of advice, Karen. Really appreciate it. Again, uh, can you plug once more where everybody can find you, your course, uh, any, anywhere you'd like people to follow you or check you out? Yeah, two spots. Very simple and I'm very accessible. Um, relationshipscreatemagic.com. That will redirect you to my private Facebook community of entrepreneurs called Relationships Create Magic. Or secondly, you can email me personally, K-A-R-A-N, Curran, at jube, J-U-B-E, dot C-A, with any sort of questions or feedback or comments that you might have. And um, regardless of where you follow me or on social, everything is at Let's Jube. And uh, yeah, let's create magic together. Awesome. And as a member of your Facebook group, I will say that uh, it's definitely worth a join. So I highly recommend it. Thank you. Kieran, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks. Hey everyone, Josh here, checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content such as what's going on in the background of my Solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.